The Wings Over New Zealand show is brought to you in association with the Wings Over New Zealand Aviation Forum, New Zealand's number one aviation discussion forum online. There you'll find discussion on all aspects of New Zealand aviation, from history to current affairs and thousands of photos covering the Royal New Zealand Air Force, airlines, general aviation, warbird restorations, air show news, sport aviation, home building, gliding, aviation media and much, much more. You'll be in good company with other aviation enthusiasts, including pilots, engineers, warbird owners and restorers, historians and authors, modelers, aviation photographers and many others. Sign up to the Wings Over New Zealand community now. It's free and easy. Just Google Wings Over New Zealand and you'll find the forum. Hi, it's Matt Jolly from warbirdradio.com. Listen, I am thrilled to have Dave Homewood as part of our broadcast family and bring your stories, the stories of the RNZAF, heard right here on Wings Over New Zealand to our global audience. Thanks for listening and hope to hear from you sometime at warbirdradio.com. G'day, I'm Steve Vischer. And I'm Grant McCarran. And we're from Plain Crazy Down Under, Australia's aviation show. And you can find us at plainecrazydownunder.com. We reckon for the best coverage of the Kiwi warbird restoration and aviation scene, you can't go past Dave Homewood and the Wings Over New Zealand show. On you, Dave. Yeah, good on you, mate. Yeah, we've got to get to New Zealand soon. Where is that anyway? Well, it's where I grew up. I thought that was Brisbane. Extended, the ETOPS Aviation Podcast. Aviation-extended.co.uk And remember, there's no E at the beginning of Extended. Extended. I remember some men started prying and others started crying. Um, Partway through it, one guy got to his feet and started to run. I was scared and let that be no secret. Next thing they set the spandar up there and they opened up. And there's bloody trees, bits of trees flying. And... New Zealand tanks were over the other river and one of our men said to the Marines, don't start your tanks up. For five minutes we'll be out of it. Well some silly bugger started his tank and the Germans put over a shell and right in the middle of the bridge. It was a bitterly cold morning and I scratched down in this damn hole and it took me two days before I could stand up straight again. Hear the stories of New Zealanders in the Italian campaign in World War II. The Courage and Valor podcast. www.newzealandersatwar.com The Wings Over New Zealand show would like to acknowledge the great support it's had from Fly DC3. You can fly back in time with Fly DC3 from Ardmore Airport, charter the DC3 Dakota and fly into the past. It's an experience you'll never forget. Fly DC3. Go to www.flydc3.co.nz Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show. I'm your host, Dave Homewood. I'm actually here with uh, fellow Kiwi and good mate, Gavin Conroy. Hi, Gavin. Hi, Dave. We're here at the Tamora Air Show, and uh, it's great to catch up with you again. Yeah, you too, mate. Yeah, good to see you here and meeting all the people and taking it all in. Yeah. For those of you uh, who must be living under a rock out there, Gavin's a very well-known aviation photographer, and uh, you've put out a book in the past. Uh, the first book was called Precious Metal. That's right. Great and title. It, um, it was based around... Uh, probably around 14, 15 World War II fighters at that time and I think it was about 160 pages long and uh, at that time it was a, I worked with Craig Potman Publishing and it was the first aeroplane book they'd put out so a little bit unsure as to how it would work mm-hmm. and the first book was received really well but I didn't really meet my expectation really. Okay. Um, just in terms of some of the chapters, I didn't think we had enough images for, and I hadn't been doing it long enough. And I have a, a whole different way of doing my air to air flights now than what I did then. Right. So I didn't think that book was the book where I was 
happy with when I got to the other end, yep. the other end of the process. Yep. A lot of other people were happy with it, which was great. But the book we've done this time is we've changed the name from Precious Metal because although the aeroplane nuts know what Precious Metal kind of stands for in terms of World War II aeroplanes, the general public don't. Right. So we moved away uh, to try and get more of the general people. So we've gone with fighters and bombers this time with the same kind of layout as the last book. Okay. Um, but that's, yeah. Yeah, and that's the new book is Fighters and Bombers. Yeah, because um, obviously aeroplanes like the Mosquito come along, which is an FB uh, 26, it's still a fighter bomber version, and through being to Canada and the US and flying with a few bombers there, and Bill Reed's Anson, um, Brendan's Avenger, it's kind of. Um, the topic sort of come to the fore, I guess, so it was just move away from fighters a little bit, include the bombers into it. Um, and through, I guess, through the help of Jerry Yagan being able to fly with all of his aeroplanes made another book possible because with New Zealand, we only there's probably been five, four or five restorations since the last book, but you kind of need like 20 aeroplanes to fill a book up, yeah, yeah. and that just clearly wasn't going to cut it. So, um, with Jerry with all of his aeroplanes there was enough there and then with some help out of Canada and Australia we got a few more subjects which we ended up with 24 or 25 which is what ended up in the book. A couple didn't make it mainly due for technical reasons um, which would have been nice to have had in there but you know you can only work with what you're flying with. So are these all different aircraft from in your first book? Um, the only aeroplane that went around again that makes a second appearance in the book is the Focke-Wulf 190 that's based at Omaka and the reason for that was that the, the uh, first photo flight was two minutes long yeah. during a test flight so we got very limited images and the aeroplane had changed a lot, it had, had the tank fitted, the, the markings had changed, um, Frank was a lot more comfortable in it, we could put it up and have dog fights with the ants and the Spitfire and stuff and the, the photos I felt of that aeroplane were quite strong and it was nice to have a German aeroplane represented in it, so we went around and, and used the Focke-Wulf again, um, particularly for the dogfight sequences with the Spitfire in particular, um, looked quite nice. But apart from that, yeah, all the all the rest are new. So you uh, you ended up going to the United States, Canada, Australia, all over New Zealand. Yeah. Um, is there anywhere else in this book? Um, or is that covered? No, I think that about sums it up, yeah. But there's a lot of different uh, landscapes and backgrounds in yeah, there are. Like, like at Tamora here, at this time of year, it's a bit, uh, a bit dry and it can be quite challenging to get good photos. But if you go to Jerry Agan's place, you know, you take off out of his airstrip and then you're flying around swampy marshlands, which really suit particularly the Pacific era aeroplanes. And, and his facility, you can just fly in different directions because it gets so many more contrasts, you know, like New Zealanders. Um, so, yeah, the, so I guess if we looked at. Um, uh, and a, a big part of why the book came about was to follow the mosquito. Yeah. Like the mosquito came along, and Warren and Jerry um, asked me to go and take the photos of that aeroplane at the beginning, which was great, and it had quite an impact on me. And I followed it. I guess I, I went to Jerry's in 2013 and realised how many aeroplanes he had all parked out on the tarmac, and I thought, man, if one day if I could fly with some of those aeroplanes, that'd be rather neat. Yeah. Um, that air show got washed out unfortunately but it was, you know, that Warren and I were over there, there was a few other New Zealanders over there to see the Mosquito fly again and I thought I want to see this thing fly at an air show so I went to Canada the following month and that's where the Lancaster photos came from right. um, and we had the Mosquito flying with the Lancaster and photographed from the back of a B-25 because in New Zealand we, we were considering using um, Brendan Deere's Avenger to get the head on stuff yeah. But Brennan's Avenger was being painted at that, over that crucial time. We couldn't use it, and it's like, boy, I always, always want to fly that, fly with that thing head on. So that's where the B twenty five came into it. And and on that Canadian flight, um, I was originally supposed to fly in the Lancaster, but the photos have to come first. And I turned that flight down to fly in the B twenty five to get the head on photos of the Mosquito. And the Canadian guy said, "You'll really regret that decision one day, not flying in that Lancaster." And I don't regret doing it the way we did it because it's got you know some nice shots of Lancaster yep. and the B-25 with Warren being in it was, and the, I mean that flight was an interesting one because Keith Skilling ended up in the Lancaster 
three Kiwis were there, so Keith was in the Lancaster, I was in the V25, Warren was in the uh, Mosquito. There was a remarkable yeah. um, set of photos, and, and from all of you guys. I mean, Warren took some amazing video of that as well. Yeah, the videos, the video gone on YouTube. Different companies have kind of have approached Warren for that footage and joined it all together with that. Because I, I guess I should mention that there was a, there was two hurricanes and two Spitfires along with that flight as well. So it wasn't only just. I shouldn't say just a mosquito Lancaster because it's kind of one of those one in a lifetime things. But to have these other four fighters joined on it was. Um, yeah, one of those moments, they were all British aeroplanes and you sort of looked out and it gave you a really uh, kind of a bit of a sobering moment of these young guys, you know, you couldn't help but think of the young guys in that big formation like that, so it was, you know, Warren had a smile on his face from start to end and it was just good that the three of us could get up there and, and really take that Canadian trip in and it really was a once in a lifetime I think for all of us, I don't think that opportunity would come around again to fly in a formation like that. How, how often are we ever going to see a formation like that again? Just... Well, it hasn't happened since since that Canadian air show. Um, Keith's father flew Lancasters in World War Two, and and so and Keith actually got a steer. So once the photo flight finished, the B-25 came back and landed with the Mosquito and the others, and the Lancaster carried on, and Keith was stuck down the back for um, most of that flight, but got up into the into the right hand seat at the end and and had some flying. So that was. Uh, that was something that was really important to him to try and achieve while he was there and yeah. um, through me turning down that flight to fly in the Lancaster meant that there was a seat there which helped ultimately helped Keith out as well so it worked out well that we could all get in there um, we all had different motives for being there yeah. um, I wanted to take the photos for him to fly in the Mosquito in Canada where it was originally built was quite a remarkable thing too Now um, you flew with the ME262 didn't you? Yeah um that was kind of a, it was an interesting flight there because we're always, I'm always looking at a, an adversary type angle, so uh, the, the Mission Smith 262 and the Spitfire or something like that, and and we had, obviously Jerry owns the ME262 and the Mosquito, so it was like, how do we try and, uh, I guess, convince Jerry to, how cool it would be to fly these two aeroplanes together, and I think it just happened to be 65 years to the month that a 262 and a Mosquito first met in combat right. and so went to him with that angle, he liked that angle um, and also it was, the ME 262 is pretty rare in the Warburg world yeah, so to put the Mosquito and the and the um, Mission 262 up together was really good and then this year when I went back we put the 262 up by itself and flew around um, a few orbits and you know that's a magnificent aeroplane that's taken a lot of work to get it to as good as it is now, so you know Jerry puts, you know, time, effort, and so much money into that place. Um, you know, he's one of the world stars, really, probably if not the biggest guy that everybody admires and talks about. Yeah, him and his aeroplanes. Well, what were you flying alongside the two six two in there? Um, good question. It was a, actually a Harvard both times. Right. Um, the the two six two wouldn't. Um, wouldn't turn on the inside with the Harvard very well. You could see the slats moving backwards and forwards. We we did try it, but we decided uh, about a quarter of the way through the turn to stop it because the pilot was carrying on, and I could see clearly what was going on, and it just wasn't worth carrying on. Trying to make something work that was a little bit too hard, so we just turned back the other way with the 262 on the outside of the turn and just carried on flying. Right. Um, some of them, you know, often the camera ship's going flat out, the subject's going as slow as it can, and you try and make everything work. But with some aeroplanes, you get to that point of where things just aren't going to happen, regardless of how much flap um, you try and put down. 262's got the newer newer engines in it that are in a Learjet, and it's got a lot of power. But you're kind of flying around on idle, um, trying to make it work, and it's not a good place to be. Yeah, yeah. Well, is there any um, other sort of experiences that come to mind from the, the photo shoots in the book that stand out? Oh, there's probably you know there's probably one from every chapter really. Um, I think taking the air-to-air photos of Bill Reed dropping the bombs from the Anson over Amarca was kind of neat because they were they were learning and they were using you know the original bomb site they were using and trying to get this to work. So that was kind of a kind of an interesting flight. Um, there's a couple of in cockpit shots in the Mosquito. Um, 
one year we flew with the one flight I went on we had we were in the mosquito with, I was in the mosquito with Mike Spalding and we had Hurricane on one side Spitfire on the other as a um, British salute yeah. that was a really neat thing to be able to do um, and probably one of the really big sticky outs would be the Spitfire pair we did a flight last year at sunset with the two Spitfires and when I fired those few photos through to the book publisher I'd held it back so the book only happened over a space of six months it wasn't like something we always planned to do because yeah. it depended on the sales of the first one um, as soon as I sent the photos through of the Spitfire pair they were like wow we sh you know we've got enough now so went back to Jerry's again and finished off with um, we put the P40 with the mosquito together and people go well, P40 mosquito why would you do that and well, the, the, uh, the P40 was rebuilt by Avspecs as well, so it was like putting their two restorations together. And yeah. the engineers really love to see those photos. They probably get more excited about them than anybody seeing their two restorations flying side by side. Yeah, definitely. So you've travelled a long way to, to get together these photos, and it's taken a long time, really, hasn't it? Yeah, I think the last book we took the last photos towards the end of 2011. So, as I say, there was never a plan for a second book, and. Because it, it's so much work, like people think you just hop in the aeroplanes and off you go, but some of these flights take months, years to get across the line. Um, so, you know, we got the first book done and it took four years to get the second one done. And I think there's about 100,000 k's worth of travel in those photos and probably 50, 60 hours worth of camera ship time. Um, so it's not, it's not a cheap exercise. Um, there's a lot of waiting involved you need very very good pilots to to get the photos uh, everyone has to be comfortable with what they're doing and as I say there's little things like I used to do rifle shooting when I was in air cadets years ago and there's there's breathing techniques now I use to take the photos to try and keep them nice and clear um, that I didn't do in, when I first started taking the photos and also putting yourself in the um, in the right headspace for what you're doing where you are and what's happening that that whole aspect's changed to what it was. It, when I did my first, I guess, couple of hundred flights, it was all so fast and it was all, sometimes it was, um, I'd put myself under pressure, try and do too much too quickly, because um, you, you only you ever have a limited amount of time. The Spitfire, if you've had five minutes, you should count yourself pretty fortunate to have got that five minutes. So now it's just a, a whole different mindset. Still have the same amount of time, but just the way the brief happens, um, the expectations of the pilots and myself and everybody else is a, is a lot different than what it used to be. So the photos I think are better, um, just a result of flying with some of these guys so many times and not the same aeroplanes. But if you fly with Keith and a with Keith Skilling alongside him and a Tiger Moth or a Chipmunk, you know the next time you fly you've just gelled a little bit better and you understand each other more, and that's where the photos come from. It's really interesting to hear you say about the. Uh the development and, and, and just the experience uh, building up and, and how you've got better and better because you know I remember years ago when you first put the first photo that you put onto the Wings Over New Zealand forum was I don't know maybe eight or nine years ago mm. and and then every time that you've put photos up and a lot of people say it and I always, always think it too you just seem to be getting better and better as you go along. Yeah, and people say that. Um, I but do, but yeah. I think what you're saying is you actually are getting better and better at the techniques um, you know, your, your your photography skills have built and built over that time, and yeah, um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting that you, when you look back over those years that you've been doing this, um, some of some of the photos now that just we, we we just look at them and go, oh wow. Yeah, and I guess I back. No one, uh, there's no one around to really teach you. Yeah. Um, some of the the people that do it a lot don't really want to teach you. Because I guess you could be seen as another competitor to what they're already doing. Yeah, yeah. So I taught myself, and I had people like Graham Bethel help me along. And you know, he was the first guy I flew with in a fighter. And then once we got to the end of that flight, I thought, well, I can act, you know, I can actually do this, despite what some people are telling me that it's impossible. You'll never get there, and all that sort of stuff. So I guess as flights went on, we would just get a tiger moth out, or we'd get a, a tomahawk from the Aero Club. It wouldn't matter. It'd just be a different set of learning each time we went out and, and did that. And in the States, I, when I was flying with Jer at Jerry's um, place, I'd have a, I had the same brief for every single flight. It didn't matter what we were doing. 
what aeroplanes they were, we would fly exactly the same sequence every time. So then with Mike Spalding, I flew with him several times, and he's Jerry's chief pilot, and he knew every time what we were doing. So when I went back this year, he, he already had things worked out because he knew what I'd be wanting to see. Yeah. Um, the briefing was quicker, and the pilots I'd flown with in 2014 as well. So they, they knew what the expectation was, um, and, and a lot of the Kiwi guys know that too, that it's going to be this, it's going to be that, it's going to be simple, it's going to be relatively easy flight dynamic-wise, but the pilot just has to put the aeroplane in the right position. But I guess anybody, any any um, aviation photographer doing air to airs that isn't getting it right, they're just burning gas and burning money, aren't they? Yeah, and you can't, the owners aren't really tolerant of that. And um, as I say, sometimes uh, you might get five or ten minutes. Um, other times you might get thirty minutes. So it's just about making the most of the time because sometimes you get up there with an owner and he's having a great time. He doesn't really want it to stop and. And, and you can, you know, sometimes you can tell by the pilot's face. There's been times where I've called and said, oh, we should, you know, after the next orbit, we'll break it off. And they're like, no, no, let's keep going through a couple more orbits. So it's the same yeah. plan, but we just go around an extra couple of times because they haven't, you know, they're having a blast doing it. Right. Um, and with formation flying, there's, there's disciplines that formation flying has, but then when you when you put it across in a, into, a, into a photograph, it doesn't quite work the same. So... Um, to try and explain to listeners, if you had, if you had two aeroplanes that were flying dead level, and you've got a good formation pilot with you, when you turn left, his wings will still stay on a plane, so you'll still be flat. So you go around the corner, and the aeroplane on the subject goes up against the blue sky, but you've got to hand signal him back down to put him against the ground, and so you're putting him in a whole new. Like, wow, this is formation flying, but it's actually a lot different than what I normally do because you're flying, you're formation flying, but you, you're flying out of position to make a photo possible. Right, yeah, it goes and against his discipline that he's... It does, yeah. yeah, and, and some, some pilots are really good at that, and others, it's you put them outside the comfort zone, and afterwards they understand. Um, but it, a lot of the time you'll fly along and you'll go into a turn, and they'll go up alongside you, and then the first thing you're doing, and they're thinking they're doing a great job because their formation is impeccable. Yeah. But for a photo, they're out of position, so you've got to hand signal them down out of the way. So, so they, a lot of them have learned a lot along the along the way as well, and they understand what they need to do. Um, so, tell people where you can uh, find this book now. Um, I think the book's starting to appear on when I, when I headed over to Australia last week. It was starting to turn up in the shops then. Um, and the sales have been pretty massive right from the start. The book, the, the take up from the book shops has been quite major. Oh, uh, I got okay. some numbers the other day I probably shouldn't mention. But um, yeah, I was quite surprised at how well it had gone straight off the bat. Because you never really know when you put a book together whether it's going to be, it might meet your expectation, but it might not meet the reader's expectation. And you know, the, the one thing, when, when the last book came out, it turned up at home and I got home from work and my wife was quite excited and I opened this book up and I flicked through the pages and put it down on the uh, on the bench and then went and got a drink and, and she said, yeah, haven't you got anything to say about it? And I said, well, you know, I've looked through the drafts so many times and I guess I was tired of it Yeah. and I still haven't read that book from start to end or really even really sat down and looked at it properly just because of the, the process it goes through at the start. And this book's the same, I haven't really had that opportunity. We did. The one change that was made was that general public like more aeroplane photos, whereas the last book had a lot of restoration photos in it, and that's been taken out this time, just to try and satisfy both markets, because if we're to do a third, you know, it'll at least be another five years away, because I've got to find another 24 aeroplanes. And, you know, I can fly, I can find 24 aeroplanes, but um, not the type that you need to fill a book up. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's a bit, been a bit challenging from there. So the bookshops, you can find it in most good bookshops around the country. It should be in the, uh, in the shops now and the reviews will start coming out in the magazines. So, you know, w- because we changed the formula a little bit, we had a lot more, f- a lot more difficulty with leaving photos out um, and there was little arguments between myself and the guys putting it together, which I genuinely won. So the... The last book, there wasn't actually many of the really good photos from me personally, but the publishers know how to sell a book. Yeah. 
and so I go along with what they say whereas this time they gave me a lot more creativity and said look you know you know what the aeroplane people like we know what the general people like so we'll try and mix it you know put the whole thing together and I did manage to pick you know 90% of the the photos that I genuinely like myself whether that makes a book sell is another thing yeah. um, but hopefully we did you know we have got it pretty much right this one is 260 pages the last one was 159 right. uh, it's $10 more than the last book so not a bad um, conversion rate I suppose no, 100 pages right. for 10 bucks yeah. um, and I think there's 25 in this book whereas there was probably seven, 16 17 aeroplanes in the last the one aeroplane that in, in both books there's been an aeroplane that I've picked that I've generally liked and I've added it even though it might not genuinely be World War Two, so I put the LA Lovotchkin LA Nine in the first book because it was it first flew in nineteen forty six and its history went back to LA fives and sevens that flew in World War Two. So yeah. I decided to put that LA Nine and it never never really copped any bad feeling or was never told that that was didn't work from the book's point of view. Whereas this time I put Tomorrow's Meteor in it because although it's a a later model, you know Meteor was flying during the World War Two period, so. Um, I put the meteor in there because we had a good set of photos of it, and the F8 meteor is single seat, cannons in the nose is probably the you know, most beautiful looking meteor that there was, yeah. I guess, depending on who you talk to. So it would have been a crime to have left that out because it was an airplane that started its time during World War Two. Yeah, exactly. And the rest of Lancaster's, you know, B25, a couple of Avengers, a couple of Yaks, three Spitfires, um, might even be more Spitfires than that. So it was good to get 24, 25 aeroplanes together. Um, I, didn't, I couldn't get Jerry Yagan's Focke-Wulf 190. At one point I thought we were going to have two Focke-Wulfs in it, yeah. but it was having a few issues that needed to be, not big ones, but just stuff that it wasn't flying in time. So that gives me an excuse to go back to Jerry's at some point and, yeah. um, and fly with that. Oh, so fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it's a great looking book. It's, uh, it's got the beautiful mosquito on the front. It's yeah, it was an argument. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say an argument, but there was a conversation around. If you look at the front cover on the back, there's the two Tamora Spitfires on the back and the mosquito on the front. And before I came back and did the flight with the two Spitfires, it, it seemed to be that you know you would have two Spitfires on the cover because they were f the conditions were perfect. The guys flew them really, really well. You know, on a if, if I looked at Jerry's and I looked at Tamora, um, the guys that, f that I fly with in these places are equally as good as the guys in New Zealand and they've got really great attitudes um, and heaps of really positive guys that want to get in and go and make things happen. So we had the two Spitfires and the Mosquito. Mosquito won out for the cover, which was always going to be, but we put the two Spitfires on the back because it was close. Um, at, at the start of the process of what we picked for the cover but Mosquito kept coming back and in fact I got Warren Warren Denham wrote the forward for me because I felt that he through his experience with the Mosquito um, that had to happen but it was also the real reason I got Warren to write it was because I don't know whether how many people know but Warren soloed in a P40 right. um, and Garth Hogan's one and um, Charles Darby's one back in the day so to have somebody that restores the aeroplanes and, and is flying them too was a, a nice thing to have. Because there's not many engineering guys that have done that, that That's engineer right. aeroplanes that, that restore World War II fighters and fly them. Fly, so yeah, exactly. he was logical for that. Well, that's great. And we're actually uh, sitting in uh, the back office at Tamora, and the reason we're sitting here is because it's quite windy outside. You may not get any... Uh, uh, yeah. done today. No, we did have, uh, there was two aeroplanes I came here to fly with, and one was a P-40F Kitty Hawk, uh, and the other was that was a really the lovely Corsair that's just flying over here, but um, I, I can't see either of those flights happening just because um, of the weather we've got, it must be a good 40 knots outside. Yeah. So no, no flying today, we looked at the Corsair this morning, but um, yeah, that's, uh, that's not going to happen, unfortunately. Maybe Sunday when they go home, but... Um, I guess tomorrow's a lot like under classic fighters and Wanaka and things where you know really good people and that's half the reason I come to these things is because have some great time with some great people. The aeroplanes are kind of secondary sometimes I think. I, I'm, uh, I'm I've been learning that the the air show for me now is the people and then the yeah. aeroplanes are secondary. 
I love seeing the flying displays. I love seeing the aircraft up close. But um, it's the people that you meet. They're, they're just yeah, I think so. People that keep you com- coming. Yeah, back. and I mean the book's the same thing. Like I'm not a fan of book launches. We did one last time, and I'm just not comfortable in that environment because really the book. The book is about the owners and the pilots and the engineers and all that, and it's just kind of one of those things I'd happily look, just like to see it go on the shelf and, and sell from there. Yeah. So this is my first uh, tomorrow air show. I'm enjoying it so far, despite the wind and weather, and I hope it's going to calm down tomorrow. But uh, yeah, get to see a bit of flying. But uh, you've been here a few times, and tell yeah. me about your tomorrow experiences. Well, I met Kenny Love at Classic Fighters. I think it was 2011, and, and Kenny's the CEO of the museum and really top guy. Um, I didn't know, I also met Doug Hamilton who flies the Spitfire and the Hudson at that same time um, and, I, and I said it would be great to fly with the Spitfire pair one day and he sort of had a bit of a chuckle and oh yeah we could maybe do that one day and then 2013 came along and he rang me, it must have been towards the end of 2012 and said oh you know I haven't forgotten what we, you know, that's the funny thing, some of these flights take years to get done and yeah. he said I hadn't forgotten, you know, I kind of promised you the two Spitfires so there's a, a chance that might happen and so 2013 was my first visit which was the um, the Warby's Down Under show so it was based around that time and, and that was a lot of the photos in the book of the Australian stuff were taken head on. We had a uh, the Haas Caribou we used as a camera ship and flew around with a bunch of the aeroplanes. So we even got a Hornet behind. There's a Hornet makes an appearance in the book. Right. To get it, that caribou was doing 125 knots. Wow. Um, so if you put that in context, something as big as an F-18. And we also had the Sabre. So the the guys were happy to go to 135 knots for five minutes, which was <laughs> that was the time for the Sabre to come in. Which obviously I couldn't put the Sabre in the book because it's not World War Two, but um, to see uh, Samo flying that sabre that well behind a caribou going that slow was quite something. Absolutely. So I think we had the two Spitfires, the Boomerang, the Hudson, a Mustang, uh, Hornet, and you know, and we got both the Spitfires together then. And I think flying with that, the the big driver for me to come for tomorrow to two tomorrow was to fly with TV863 Tim's old Spitfire, yeah. Sir Tim's old Spitfire. Yeah. And that started my Warbird interest, that aeroplane, so it was really good after all that time. It was nice to have the pair of them there, but it was really always about Sir Tim's aeroplane. And, and I honestly thought that that trip would be the last, um, you know, it would be a one-hit wonder, I guess. Yeah. And then the f- after I stepped off that aeroplane and I, I sent the photos through the museum guys, they suggested I come back when the canola crop was in bloom the following September. Right, right. So I came back then and that was when we did the Spitfire flight, we did the boomerang again, we did the meteor. I think we flew with 15 aeroplanes in three days. Wow. Uh, used Kenny Love's, he's got a Piper Lance, we used that as a camera ship and we used uh, Harvard as a camera ship, which was Harvard 99, which used to be Keith Skilling. So yep. there's always New Zealand connections right the way through the whole place. So I guess 2013 I came out for the first show, then I've had three trips in the last 18 months coming out flying with the aeroplanes um, outside of that. And as I say, the people are great, the pilots are fantastic. And the, the air show they run here is a really good air show. It's varied. I mean, to see a Constellation, a Meteor, a Sabre, uh, F-18s, you know, there's not many places where you could see that. No, Boomerang, no. Hudson, yeah, right. man, the list goes on. It's, it's an impressive so, list. So much stuff here we've, we've never seen in New Zealand. It is. It's the it's the third Warbirds Down Under show, and and through being um, in organising committees and other air shows, I guess they're feeling the pain. You know, they're learning a lot, uh, lots of little things that they're learning that every air show has to go through, and the popularity of this air show has gone through the roofs, which means more work um, from them. So it's a it's a tough job running an air show. Oh, that's it. And, and when you're outside, not only is it 40 knots probably outside, it's 40 degrees yeah. Celsius as well. It's just crazy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and 2013 air show time, it was nowhere near this temperature. Uh, and I've been, I've been out to the museum four times doing photo flights of the aeroplanes and it has never, ever been this hot. Um, and everybody's uh, everybody's struggling with it. That's for sure. Even if I guess if there was no wind, but it was that temperature, it'd be quite difficult to hold formation too. Wouldn't it? Yeah, well, the aeroplanes are down on power yeah. uh, on a day like today. Um, which uh, and then just for a photo flight, that's another consideration you've got to have. You know, for a Corsair or something like that. 
you know, the, the whole thing changes, the whole game changes. Um, you know, if the pilots came up and said, now let's go and do the photo flight, I'd just say no, because it's blowing way too hard out there. And the last thing, I, you know, I've never had an aeroplane, I've done 400 odd air-to-air flights, I've never fortunately had any sort of incident in a camera plane, and I've never, the biggest, biggest fear outside of that is to see a subject aeroplane have a wheels up landing doing for the sake of a few photos that would probably end my days doing it seeing something as unfortunate as that um, yeah and actually speaking of that you recently did do a photo shoot with uh, an aircraft that has ended its days and that's the Vulcan oh yeah the Vulcans <laughs> I mean there's, they talk about the Vulcan effect in Britain and I I got an email I can't remember when it was it must have been towards the end of August and it was around the lines of can you be in the UK on September the 12th and you know I really didn't have the money I guess to do it and I didn't really have the time either but the Vulcan was in its last couple of weeks and it was like mate you're an egg if you don't go and I sat down and talked to my wife about it and we decided even with England's fickle weather I would go and so bought the tickets and we were one week out and I said to myself on Saturday night before I went to bed, you know, I knew it was flying in Nisha the following day, and I was like, please don't break it, because it wouldn't fly again until our photo flight the following week. Yep. Um, and yeah, it had the nose wheel extension issue. Right. So it didn't, it hadn't flown again when I left New Zealand to go and fly with it. And right. Really, really nervous. I got to the hotel at Duxford on the Friday evening, and about quarter to nine that night, I got an email saying that the Vulcans flying just on, just before the sun went down. So we were back on again. Um, there was a few other things that came in the way in between then. And we used a Skyvan as a camera ship and that flew in from Belgium and it had to fight its way around the front. So it was one of those flights that was always, um, it was a really challenging one over a short period of time. And I'd had opportunities before, a couple of opportunities to fly the Vulcan which I'd turned down because uh, things weren't quite white, quite how I would have liked them, right. and I thought I'd, well, the opportunity would never come, uh, never come again. Yeah. But it did, and the next day it drove to Shoreham where that unfortunate hunter crash happened, um, and, and that was the airfield we were flying in and out of with the camera ship, and that airfield had been closed up until three or four days before the flight, so there was all these other things, yeah. logistical things of the way. And... Um, Got in the sky van without very much sleep, um, and was still saying to myself, "I'll believe it when I see it." Yeah. And we flew; it was flying around Beachy Head, and um, it couldn't find it. Um, it was in the air, and it blasted across the top of this cloud. So it blasted across the top of this cloud and blew these big vortices off the wingtips, and it was like I'd never seen a Vulcan in flight before. It was the first time I'd ever seen it. Wow. Was from a you know a, quite a privileged position like that, and the pilots just flew it. You know, I just hate to say it, but it's gee, it's in the top two or three experiences. It was they just flew it so well. We had puffy clouds, blue sky, um, and to travel so far for one flight. There was a few times where I was thinking, what was I doing? And once was at the airport at Woodburn, sitting there going, oh, this thing is to go so far. But fortunately, there were, there were other aviation events that week that. I was hoping would make me feel better if that flight didn't work out. Yeah. And it's one of those days I was expecting five or ten minutes and we got 30, 35 minutes with this thing. Yeah. Um, and wow, that's a, that's a long flight. It's a long, long flight. Considering the last flight was 15 minutes long because they were out of hours, I felt a bit yeah. guilty about it because <laughs> they, you know, they, I mean, they were doing photo flights and doing other things, but to be able to do it head on from a, a short sky van um, was, that, that's why I hadn't flown with it before, so I had the opportunity to fly with it with a jet provost, but as a camera plane, but you couldn't get near head on. And with a Delta, I think you've got to fly with it head on to get that perfect angle of it. I have to say, I've only seen a couple of photos from that um, that shoot because you've only released a couple so far. Yeah, But yeah. they are stunning. And I, I've never really been a big fan of the, the Vulcan, but it really did go, maybe go, wow. Yeah. Yeah, it, um, if, in terms of jets, I'm sometimes not the jets' biggest fans fan really but I, my dad used to tell me about the Vulcans when they were flying in New Zealand and I mean I'd been watching the thing like we all had over those eight seasons yeah. um, and it, it you know I got quite a bit of interest in because it's an Avro 
you know, there's not many Avro jets flying. I don't know if there's another Avro jet, is there? I don't even think there are. No. So, and the fact that it got right to the end, and I, I think like, that's probably why I rate it so highly in the flights I've done, because it was so close to the end. Yeah. And it was a really emotional time that the day after the Vulcan flight, um, the Vulcan team invited me to their open day for their club, which I wasn't a member of. It gave me a ticket to that, you know, and, the, and that was the last flight it did for the members. It was members only day at Coventry, and you know, there was people clearly crying. You'd see tears in people's hands because it's so, you know, it was, and, and the the crowd was quiet. It was like the mosquito air show back in 2012, where right. nobody talked through the duration of that mosquito flight. It was like it felt like you're the only one there. Wow. And Coventry was the same, where. Um, from having, I know, I mean, lots of people have seen it so many times, but for me, I'd flown with it the first day, and then the second day it was the first display I'd actually ever seen, and it still amazes me that we were able to fly it as a warbird. It's such a big, massive, impressive aeroplane to be flown um, by a bunch of, um, of enthusiasts, I guess you'd call it. Even though there's former pilots and things, it's just looks like such a massive engineering challenge to be able to still fly it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, it has finished its days, it's quite quiet. I haven't shown any of the photos really because the Vulcan team make their own merchandise and things like that, so we put six months uh, ban on release of them, so I've fired a couple out, but it won't be until next year, and we look it's been to hard not to, because yeah. some of them I look at and I think, man, it's one of those times where I look at the photos and I think, was I really there? Yeah. Um, because it almost looks too good to be true, and... Yeah, it was the sound of it, it when it, it because of having four engines, the the pilots sort of running his fingers across the throttles, and it almost at times it sounded like uh, a, a spaceship out of Star Wars. The noise it was making. Oh. It's sometimes air to air flights of jets, you don't hear them because they're at idle um, or close to idle. But the Vulcan had to fight really to be flying at one hundred and fifty five knots. There was a lot of power, a lot of angle of attack, so it requires a lot of fuel, like the Hornet behind the Caribou. Yeah. The Hornet was so loud because it was at 125 knots to keep position, and the Vulcan was, think of the Vulcan too, these huge black contrails or chemtrails, whatever you even call them. <laughs> this is black, you know, they just went forever around the whole, um, around the countryside. And, and over Beachy Head with the white cliffs around there, there was, you know, there's hundreds of people on the beach. They must have known that we were there. Uh, that was going to happen with some people you know aviation people always find out Um, there was crowds of people down down below but you know it's one of those flights I'm really grateful for and I still feel nuts going that far for one photo flight um, and if it happened I'd you know probably be sulking still (laughs) as you would wouldn't you yeah but congratulations on doing that and congratulations on the book as well and uh yeah, I hope it goes as well as what it sounds like. It. I think it'll. Uh, I think it will go really, really well. I think it'll. It'll blow the last one out of the water. The one thing I haven't, you know, we always talk about. People always ask, "Oh, when's the next one coming?" And and I honestly, from the last one, I didn't know. And 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 it's the same this time. But I think if there is another one, the formula will change again because that Vulcan's got to be in there. Yeah. So it might be fighters and bombers, but it just might not have a time period put across it because then I can use Hornet shots and. And other things, but yeah. if you go back to World War Two, um, there's just such an interest in those aeroplanes right now. The, you know, as you'd know from following your veterans around, we're losing more and more of them all the time. Yeah. Yeah. The family members of uh, that had grandfathers and and stuff flying Spitfires, I get emails from people all the time wanting photos of Spitfires and Lancasters and stuff because I think their family members are finally learning what their grandfathers and fathers actually did. Yeah during World War Two, So there's a lot more interest from, I guess you can say, the general public. So that's why the book has changed its name, it's changed its format a wee bit, to hopefully just go out to a wider audience because um, that's what we want. Like we all, you know, you can you can sit down at the publisher's meeting and you know that most of the Warbeard fans are going to buy the book. Um, yeah, apart from the ones that don't like you. <laughs> that's probably the only ones that wouldn't buy it. But most of the Warbeard nuts, they will... Generally, buy, like I do, I buy most books and most DVDs if I can, um, and it's the same with the book. But there's such a huge pool of people outside of that that we want to try and reach with this stuff. The same with the magazines, Classic Wings, Fly Past, all that. They they do want the enthusiasts buying it, but they do want you know newer generations, younger kids, yeah. 
all those um, people buying the things too. Yeah. So I think it all it, it met my expectation when I did get it and I did you know I did turn up on the bench. I did flick through it and went and did something else and then I went back and I actually probably spent about 30 minutes going back through it thinking you know it's you know most things in life it's never going to be perfect but I sort of looked at it and I'm like yeah that's 90% of what the other book should have been and the flights are especially when you decide to go around the world and do some flying you need I've never had an overseas flight rained out and people you know some of the air to air photographers I've talked to can't quite work out how I've been that fortunate to not have it rain. Yeah. I've n- not had it rain, I've not had a really dreary, cloudy, you know, ugly day. Um, you know, my granddad always used to say to me, get off your backside, work hard and things happen. Yeah. And I've used that from a teenager right the way through and that's why I do get off my backside, do go to these places and then a few years later, oh gee, we've got enough photos together to make a book. Yeah. Um, and then there's the magazine editors that make, you know, you, sometimes you go and take the photos for their magazine and the photos happen to end up in the book later on. Right. So it's a big team effort between a huge amount of people. And I've always looked at it as being the lucky bugger that sits in the back and pushes the button. Yeah. Um, it's a bit more to it than that, but I'd like to simplify it back to that. Yeah, that's, that's right. It is a team effort, the pilots, the engineers, um, all of those people, but, you know, you are the lucky bugger that sits in the back. And yeah, and a, yeah. You know, I've known you a, a long time now, Gavin. And I yeah. know that you're one of the nicest uh, guys that's in photography and, and uh, aviation, and that's why you keep getting asked back. Yeah, it's a funny thing. Like, you get opportunities. You, somebody rings you up and says, can you come and do this? And then you get a bunch of people that um, sort of say things in the background because, I don't know, they didn't get the opportunity or whatever. But... You know, if the phone rings and if someone gives me the opportunity, if I can do it, I'll go. Of course you would. Um, Who wouldn't? You know, why wouldn't I? Yeah, yeah. And I guess the mosquito was a classic in that back then we didn't know whether we would have a lot of time to do any photo flights with it. We thought we would probably get one flight, uh, then it would get boxed up and sent home. But as it happened, Jerry was happy for the aeroplane to stay yeah. uh, for, a, you know, a, a length of time. So some other guys got to fly with it too, which was great. Um, but at that time, it was like, gee, we might only get one shot at this. And, um, yeah, it was just, just such a good thing to be able to put that mosquito on that on the cover of that book because I talked to Warren about it a couple of times. I was like, oh, the Spitfires might eat a mosquito out. And you know, just having a bit of a joke about it. Um, but, you know, the mozzie was, mozzie was always going to win. And I think most of the time, if you do get off your backside, work hard, and things do happen, it's not... You know, people, you often hear the word luck come into it. Oh, yeah, lucky to get this and lucky to do that. I mean, I can't remember any of the flights that have just happened just based on pure luck. The only luck in it is the weather. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's the one thing that you can't plan for. um, You know, even if if I'm heading overseas to Jerry's place, I'll sit there just religiously for three weeks out, keeping an eye on the weather maps, you know, because you're absolutely terrified that you're going to go all that way and sit on the ground and... I don't. I, I take the air show photos from the ground for the magazines because it's a requirement that I have to do so. But I don't enjoy that, you know, very much at all. I enjoy the flying the most. The photos come second. Yeah. Um, and I think if you do do it that way around, I think the photos can end up being better just because what you're actually doing is ahead yeah. of the pictures. It's about getting the flight right first, and then the pictures are the thing that come from. That, if that makes sense. Well, thank you very much, thank Gavin. It's been fascinating to have a chat with you. And, uh, yeah, you too, mate. Good to see you out here and yeah. bearing this heat. <laughs> yeah. It's not easy, eh? Yeah, it's not. It was nine degrees when I left home, and <laughs> it was forty. Uh, what was it? Forty-one, I think, driving out of Sydney Airport, mm. and it was like, wow, this is just unreal. And yeah, uh, yeah it's. Uh, I'm going home before you, so I'm going to get back to the cooler stuff before you. So yeah. yeah. Good luck with the rest of it. You're doing, you're doing a good job. It's like, I don't know. It's almost like starting a new job when you come to some of these places because it's a whole new bunch of people that you don't know, yeah. and you yeah. don't know what they're like, and they don't know you. And then before you know it, everybody's the best of mates, having a beer and yeah, and then you're planning you find, a second trip. You actually find out that they're pretty much the, the Australian aviation and warbird scene. That they're, they're pretty much like the New Zealand aviation and warbird scene. They're, they're really nice people. They're most welcoming. 
They um, are, and, yeah. And it's great to get on here. Actually. Yeah, they are. They, you know, they, the Tamora Museum has a, a quite a, a strict way of the way that they fly, a disciplined approach. Not to say other outfits don't have, but I've sat in the, when we did the Caribou briefing last year, I th- on 2013, we had two briefings and, I, and they were at least an hour long. Yeah. And, you know, that was playing right down to the, you know, I guess I could say down to the minute because, you know, we had aeroplanes coming in and out. But, mm. you know, there was no doubt in the pilots' briefings that they had before the air show, they are very thorough because they um, are a very professionally run outfit. And yeah. sometimes in outfits like that, you, you sometimes get people with different personalities, but all these guys get on like a house on fire. Yeah, yeah. You know, and... Um, yeah, it's amazing to see. Yeah. Well, let's uh, go and have a look around the air show now yeah. and see some flying ads. All right, mate. And best of luck for the weekend for uh, your air to ears. I hope that the yeah, weather yes, gets a bit Yeah, I've, I've pretty much scrubbed them at the moment, but hey, you never know. Yeah. You, you always come out to these things with no expectations and you're never disappointed when you leave. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, I hope all the listeners run out and uh, get get their own copy of Flight Yeah, Pants. hopefully they do, because then, you know, we could look at doing a third one. I, I think we'll sell them based off the numbers I've seen, I think they'll sell quite quickly. So if you do see it in the shop, I wouldn't, probably wouldn't muck around. Yeah. The Tamora Aviation Museum, they bought a pallet of them for a start. So there's a bunch of them that the Aussies are, have already snapped. Um, there's a lot of books to sell, but I, I don't think we have too much problem selling them after Christmas, I think. Yeah, well actually, yeah, see Christmas numbers. perfect, perfect. Yeah, timing. perfect timing. Yeah. Last book, I don't know whether I told you, the last book was held up by a wolfy strike. They were oh, right, sitting, yeah. in, sitting in um, Sydney or something that's for six right. weeks and yeah. hadn't told anyone. So we, we sort of got out a little bit too late, but this yeah. time the timing seems to be pretty perfect. Excellent. Well, best of luck. Yeah, you too, mate. Thank you. Good on you. That was the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Hunwood.